a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. Are you ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesdays at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes. On demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Welcome to, uh, well, what was formerly Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. We are starting 2022 with a new show and a new brand. It is the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. And, of course, uh, Jeremy's joined me for many, many episodes over the last uh, couple of years. And now we've just made it the show. Yes. Because that's what it is. Yeah, it's pretty the much. show. Well, you know, we talked about it quite a bit. And, you know, it, it, I mean, it obviously wasn't an easy decision for you to say, all right, well, you know what? We're changing the name. We're putting your name right. on the show. Um, you know, for the longest time, we were doing these interviews together and we'd be posting them on two separate podcast feeds and this and that and trying to pitch the publicist and they'd be like, wait, what? So it's it's two shows, but you do the interview together. But right. so it just kind of got confusing. We we're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just do the show together. Um, so moving forward, the podcast feed will be the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White show. And we're S- still found where you find it now. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else is changing except for the name of the show. That's it. Um so yeah. yeah. Well, there's one. There's one. One small change is on the video side. Uh, Jeremy will have all the interviews on his YouTube, with at least a, a month uh, advance on mine, and then I'll eventually get them up. But yeah, uh, yeah. But basically, I get the exclusive audio, and you get the exclusive video. Yeah, and it, and it's a great trade off. And you know, my videos are going to be you know fully produced and everything on my YouTube channel, and then you get the unedited sort of uh, behind the scenes back, <laughs> the, the 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 green room version of it on your YouTube channel, which the is gritty good. version. Yeah, yeah but um, there, there's going to be some changes to the sound of the show. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more produced. We have a nicer intro and you know different production segments and. Uh, just have a little bit more fun, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more mutt lang glitter on on the show, which is always That's right. good. We we like our mutt, but uh, one thing that we promise we won't do is we're not going to do these long introductions of ten minutes, fifteen no. minutes. We're going to get right to the meat on the bones. You want an interview? You want to hear whoever, whether it's Pink or Lou Graham? We're going to get right to them. Yeah. Uh, this introduction today is just well to introduce the new show, but otherwise, pretty much interviews first. Yeah, exactly. And the cool thing about having, you know, the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White show is that, you know, I do interviews on the radio with pop stars and stuff. So, hey, who knows? You might get pink, but then you'll also get Gene Simmons. Right. Which yeah. is- and, and that's 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 a nice vision for me, too, because I'm a music fan. I'm not a hard rock fan or a metal fan or a pop fan. I'm a music fan. If my ears like it, I will listen to it and therefore I will talk about it. I And I will... Gladly interview Madonna like I will interview King Diamond. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the shit that you were getting because you interviewed Bananarama or somebody like that. I was like, yeah, but you're a music fan. Like that's that's the thing. Contrary to popular belief, you, you know, it's it's not just rock and metal for you and I. It's like we're we're no. music fans. There's I like how you always say it. There's music I like and music I don't. Right, and that's really that simple. And and that was part of the problem. The the show originally Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon wasn't named by me. I, I didn't give it the Rock Talk name. My my original show was called One on One, where my concept was I'm going one on one with somebody. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll do a sports guy and a movie star and a. And at the time, one of the radio people said, No, 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 you have to be Rock Talk. And of course, when I would do Bananarama or Boy George or some of these other bands I've done, people would go, Oh no, you, you get you you can't talk to them. You you can't do that. And right. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah. yes, I can because we all grew up. Oh, some of us, not you, but some of us grew up in the '80s. And whether you liked Metallica or Kiss, you heard "Cruel Summer" on the radio. You heard uh, "Do You Wanna," uh, uh, "Do You Really Wanna Hurt Me" on the radio, and you just went, "It's kind of, it's kind of good." Yeah, of I kind of like that. I love all those and, pop songs, you know, nostalgically '80s. You know, yeah. And so I, I have no problem interviewing Rick Ashley, like we've had no problem doing Leo Sayer, we like had we Bonnie had Tyler Air on Supply. the show. I mean, Bonnie Tyler was fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we'd, I'd love to talk to people like Tiffany and, uh, yep. you know, like all the all these incredible 80s and 90s artists and stuff. So, you know, moving forward, it's no longer Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. It's the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White show available wherever you stream. It's, you know, you're still going to get the show and um, we're going to be exploring some cool uh, new genres. It's not just going to be, uh, you know, the Tracy Guns and uh, Michael Sweets. Yeah, though, listen, Michael Sweet is a terrific person. Oh, absolutely. Love Michael Sweet. Hey, I'm not talking. He, he was, did you know Michael Sweet was my first ever radio interview back when I got into radio? Right. And the fun part was that Tracy Guns was supposed to be your first one. <laughs> yeah. But he canceled at the last minute. Uh, and then uh, Michael stepped in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second one was Bill Leverty. So we might have to revisit that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll, I'll get Bill on. We got a lot to talk about with Bill. Yeah. But uh, that said, folks, listen, you will still get... The, the classic era artists, you will still get, you know, your, your warrants and your, your poisons and all that. And, and we'll also do, you know, the Leonard Skinnerds and the uh, We're an American Band. Uh, what's that band? I'm thinking of Grand Funk Railroad. We'll do all of that. Yep, absolutely. You still every get your so kiss. Often, you still get your Def Leppard. Yeah, but every so often you might get a Tiffany. Because yep. why not? Because why not? Anyways. Like music. Welcome to the brand new show, uh, moving forward, the Mitchell Fawn and Jeremy White show. And today we got a great show for you, including the man that formerly was a part of Iron Maiden. He sang background vocals on all kinds of records through the 80s. And we talk a little bit about that. By the way, the first interview of the year, it was possibly the worst internet connection we've ever had for a guest ever, but that's okay. <laughs> right. But it wasn't our connection, so at least I take solace in that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, trying to go transatlantic from the UK. Yeah, it was, it was a little rough, but we, the gist is there and you'll get the idea. Uh, anyways, right. Dennis Stranton, brand new record called uh, from Lionheart, uh, big remaster reissue. Uh, it's coming out at the end of the month. You can pre-order it now. Anyways, let's get right over to uh, Dennis. Now back to the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Second Nature Remastered with bonus tracks coming out on January 21st. Of course, Lionheart, just absolutely incredible band. Uh, welcome to the show for the first time ever, Dennis Stratton. There he is, everybody. How you Very doing, Dennis? Nice. Good to see you. Great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, great. We've got so many questions. So talk about this re-released version of Second Nature. Of course, you got the bonus tracks on it. Uh, talk about putting this record out again. Um, yeah, well, it, I will explain the whole situation. Um, we got together to do a few festivals in the UK uh, around about 2017, I think it was. Um, uh, it, we got such a, a good reception that um, bringing Lee Small into the band on vocals just seemed to revitalise Lionheart and me, Rocky and Steve. Although we kept in contact all the years that we weren't sort of touring together, we still sort of like kept any ideas for songs floating around, um, basically keeping the flame of that. Um, but um, we were asked, there was a few journalists in the UK uh, from Kerrang and uh, Classic Rock that said, look, guys, you know, it's such a shame you should try and do another album. So we sat down and said, look, we can do this album um, quite easily. Uh, we've got a few tracks that from the early, late 80s that never made 
the first album, Hot Tonight, um, we could bring them up to date and, and work on them and re-record them and, and everything. Some, uh, seven, eight, seven new songs. So um, it gave Lee, Lee Small a chance to come in and, and start writing with us for the first time. Um, and that's what happened. Um, Steve had his studio, Steve Mann had his studio in Germany, uh, which was quite easy for us to send over all the stuff we were doing at home. Um, all the parts were sent. Steve would send some parts for the solos to be done. I would do the solos here and then off to Steve. Um, and it was once that was recorded, um, because we hadn't approached record companies for quite a long time, we had a, a choice to make whether or not we go to someone like Frontiers and we were in a catalogue of 40 other bands, um, could get left on the shelf, uh, or do we go with a smaller company and uh, try and get um, more attention for Lionheart itself? Um, we were mentioned about AI and Germany. We approached them and they said, yes, they would They would be involved. They would get involved with, with uh, distributing the album on AOR Heaven. Uh, what we didn't know was that um, uh, they really sort of like didn't do a very good job. Um, they didn't do the promotion they were supposed to do. They didn't, um, they just let us down badly all over. Um, what we didn't realize that the album wasn't coming out in America. It wasn't coming out worldwide. We already had a deal with King for 15 years and also with um, uh, Mike Washenka, with Steve. So basically, uh, we were let down Europe only. Um, so we thought we get we had a uh, we was hard done by. Um, so anyway, the album came out. Uh, we put three or four tracks from the eighties. We re-recorded them, brought them up to date, and then we put the new songs in with the cover. And um, that was it. Uh, it get that was it. And then that was goodbye to AOR Heaven. Um, right. Then in, in, the, in the process of starting to record The Reality of Miracles, I got chatting to Holger, uh, who runs Heavy Metal, um, Metalville Records, only because uh, a friend of mine plays guitar with Doro, and they manage Doro. So right. he said he would be interested in working with Lionheart on the management side and on the record company side. So we said, great. Uh, started working out to miracles. We wanted this to be a big step up in production, in, in songwriting, everything to go up a couple of gears from second nature. Um, in the process of doing the reality of miracles, as you know, we had lockdown, which meant we were able to finish reality of miracles because none of us were able to tour or work abroad. So we were all stuck at home. And in the process of doing the reality of miracles, it got on the subject with Holger. Uh, about second, it needed a bit more promotion and a little bit more, you know, uh, love, let's say. And uh, he said, listen, why don't you remix it, remaster it, add a couple of tracks, and let's put it out as a worldwide release. So basically that all come about while we've been, while we were recording uh, The Reality of Miracles and getting that finished, um, that, you know, Steve was able to go back to Second Nature and, and redo the mastering, and it sounds a bit more better, better than it was three years ago, two years ago. Right. Hey, Dennis, do me a favor. Get a little bit closer to your camera and your microphone because the connection is dropping a, a little bit, and every, you move back, and then the audio drops out. 
Oh, right. There's a desk here right in front of me. And I oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, the oh, connection yeah. keeps... You're in the middle of something really, really intriguing and then it just drops for like two seconds. We're like, no! Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, might be your Wi-Fi. Yeah. That's okay. That's all right. We sound, you sound good now, so it's good. Okay. You sound great now. Let all me right. have... Let me take over for a second here. You you cover on the album Paperback Writer by the Beatles. Talk to me about that because, you know, generally the Beatles version is the best version. So talk to me about taking that on and, and putting yourself out there and saying, all right, we're going to give this a go. Well, um, you should be asking Steve and Lee that question because um, what happened was that every time you do an album for King Records in Japan, they always demand a bonus track that nothing, no one else gets. So, because so um, Lee come up with the idea. I think with Steve, uh, let's let's do paperback writer. So, um, because it was a bonus track, we were busy working myself, Rocky, and Clive maybe busy working on um, the other songs or, or trying to get our parts done. I think Steve was more in connection with Lee for that track and. Um, it was only going to be uh, a bonus track for Japan. Um, it's just that now, hold it, um, if you if you release it worldwide, just put something uh, different on it that um, the Europeans didn't get. You know, so um, people are going to people in Europe that might have already bought the album um, may just get it again for the vinyl or for something different, remix, remastered, and a bonus track. So I. I I think it was one of you know one of Lee's projects that he really wanted to try and do, and Steve yeah. sort of just laid the track down in the studio, you know. So you're saying that it wasn't your first choice to do a Beatles cover? <laughs> um, first choice, um, I don't, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure whether or not we we did we did record a couple of other songs that was going to go to Japan for the bonus track, but without sounding too uh, harsh. Um, it's nice having a bonus track for Japan because they're very good friends with us and we love right you know, 15 years we've played Magus. But um, mm. I'm not so sure about the choice of a bonus track when it comes to covers. Um, it, it's, a, it's a thing that we talk about with Lionheart, but um, some of us are against covers. Some of us think a cover is good for, for an album. It, it's difference of opinions, I think, but um, I just went along with it because we were... We just wanted to get the album out and get it done because we've been so many years not recording. Um, right. And then we want to get it done. And if, if that was the bonus track that was picked by a vote, then, then so be it. You know, right. that's how we are. Yeah. Uh, Lionheart, Second Nature Remastered with bonus tracks available January 21st. Talking about differences of opinion, I just want to go back to the Iron Maiden days. And I thought this was really interesting just reading up about it. You had Andy Scott from Sweet Producing. And the, the rumors that he fired, uh, Steve Harris fired him because he wanted him to play with a pick instead of with his fingers. Now, is there any truth to that? Well, uh, first of all, Andy Scott wasn't producing the album. Um, I remember going to Andy Scott's studio with Steve and Rod to talk to him about maybe being one of the potential producers for the first album. Mm. Uh, but because... Rod and Steve used to go off on their own to have secretly meetings with all different people. It was natural for the rest of us just to wait around and uh, pre-production for the, for the songs for the album or just rehearsing them. So 
Um, he never actually got to start because I know for, it might be because he wanted Steve to play with a pick. It might have been because I always remember Steve saying to me, he was he was going to get Andy Scott was going to be his first choice because um, he loved the B-sides of all the sweet songs because a lot of people grew up thinking sweet, you know, they were glam rock band. Mm-hmm. Right. Very glam rock. In the uh, early 70s and you turned them over to the B-side, they were all heavy rock, heavy metal songs, but no one played the B-side. So no right. one knew. And Steve loved the, the guitar sound and the power chords for Sweet with ballroom bits and things like that. So, yes, I think Andy Scott did get approached. Um, not sure whether or not that was the reason why, but um, there was something that turned Steve off of getting into getting him to produce. Oh, no, was. That could have been that. I don't know. Right. Wow, interesting. I'm glad that you cleared that up because that, that's a that's a really cool story. That's actually way better than the <laughs> than what's think, online. I think, yeah. I think Rod, and, Rod and Steve might have, might have approached a couple of other producers that we didn't know about, but mm. I'm not sure how they settled on Will. Um, do you have you know, an like? It, do you have an idea of who the other producers could have been? Like who no, was around the no, scene at the no, time? We, we weren't we weren't invited to their meetings most of the time. <laughs> wow, so. doesn't sound much of a band effort then. It really was Steve's band. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely, Steve. Um, I just, as a Kiss fan, I just want to take you over to the Kiss Unmasked tour that you opened up for in yeah. uh, Italy and stuff. Uh, there is that famous show that everybody refers to as the Riot Show, where Molotov cocktails were thrown on stage, and the band had to leave and hide backstage in Milan, Italy. Yeah. Do you remember anything about that? Were Were you yeah. freaked out? Had you already left, or? No, no. Um, first of all, anything. It was missiles front at the stage, but not, not ones that were lit like, like the cocktails. Uh, there was a rumour saying that someone heard a gunshot go off. But basically what happened was that there's a thing in Italy in them days, in the, in the um, late 70s, early 80s, whereas once the crowd are in, uh, in the stadium, uh, for people that are outside um, that don't have tickets, somehow they let, they let them in free or they let them in for a reduced cost i don't know but what happened was that when we came off stage um they i think they did something that happened at the back of the stadium where more people were getting whether or not they gate crashed in i don't know mm. um but what we heard was that when we were back in our dressing room because there was a tunnel at the back of the stage that went underground to the dressing rooms and uh what i remember was that we oh, this connection's killing we got changed, and I always used to wait uh, in the in the corridor before they went on stage because I would always say to Gene and, and, and Paul, have a, and I, all four of them, I'd say, have a great gig, guys, and, and fist pump because we, I did it at every gig. That's why a couple of the photos you see me in um, a black jacket, and you'll see Gene Simmons in all his and all his makeup and his stuff. And Paul Stanley because they're just going on stage. Wow! So that was every time they were going on stage. Just on the while they waited to go on stage. Yeah, mm. just before they went on. So I remember this very clearly because um, we were standing in the hallway, in the corridor, in the tunnel, and they'd come down about four or five steps with all their big high boots on, and um, I was standing there talking to them with a couple of other guys, 
and the security guys. And all of a sudden, the, the security on stage all came, they they sounded like a gun. But what happened was that there was a riot. There was a surge at the front of stage where right. people were getting crushed. And so what happened, the security guys, when they heard the bang, uh, they run down the steps from the stage into the corridor and they screamed at Kiss to get back into their dressing rooms because the, the, the fans were climbing onto the stage to get away from the crush from the crowd. Oh. So basically, they couldn't, they were trying to turn around and they hardly moved because they just used to clunk about, you know, like big heavy feet. So they were to struggle to get them back into into their dressing rooms. And that's that's what happened there. And I remember out the security for KISS were all in the corridor to stop any fans coming through the corridor to get to the dressing room. So that's what I remember of that night. Wow. That's crazy. So, it, you know, it was basically like a full-on riot then. Well, yeah. Because um, of this firework or gunshot went off, people were climbing over the crash barriers at the front to get away from the squat, from the crushing and from the surge. And some people were climbing on stage. But that might have only been half a dozen youngsters on the stage. There wasn't a full-scale riot. It was just the fact that the security were taking extra measures to make sure KISS were protected. Right. And you don't know how many people, if, if I'd have stayed in the corridor, you might have only seen three and run through the corridor to get out of the way, but there was enough security there protecting KISS, you know, so there wasn't a, there wasn't a problem. Right. Was your safe, were you ever in danger at some point during that whole predicament or? No, I come from West Ham. <laughs> I've never been in danger in my life. Right. Never. Right. There you go. Oh, that's great. Uh, Lionheart, of course, Second Nature remastered with the bonus tracks coming out January 21st. You can pre-order it now wherever you get your music. One last question before we wrap up. I thought this was really interesting reading about this. So Rocky sang backing vocals on Def Leppard's records Pyromania and Hysteria. And I'm curious, you know, after he has those experiences, does he take any of those, any of the stuff that he's learned from being in the studio with Mott Lang and like bring it back to Lionheart and try and uh, bring some of that stuff that he's learned back to the to the studio sessions with you guys? Or does he tell you any stories about working with Mott? Uh, right, you froze again, but I got the question. Oh, uh, no, basically, we we were in, we were all at the studio with Def Leppard. Um, myself, oh. myself, Stephen, Rocky uh, did quite a lot of session work for, with backing vocals in the eighties because in the early eighties because um, uh, we couldn't get a record deal, um, so right. we used to do work for other bands. Um, we'd be brought in the studio to Steve would sit by the. We have courses for some of the albums, like from um, bands like uh, Girl, and um, there's a couple of other bands I can't remember the name at the moment. But um, Rocky used to share a house with um, the couple of the guys from Def Leppard, and uh, and also Frank Noon, who, who was helped us in the early days, and they all used to share a house. So we were always knocking around in the studio between me, Rocky, and Steve, um, doing backing vocals with different people, um, different bands. But on that occasion, uh, Rocky was asked to do all um, We were actually doing harmonies. Um, Rocky just went in and done his part. It was no, it was no um, a special treatment or whatever. That was how it went, you know. And we were we were in the studio with other people that probably using the same method as Matt. But um, no, it was only because me and Steve have a really mid, mid to low range voices. And they selected, they wanted Rocky on his own because he's got the, he had a really high voice. So, um, yeah, he, 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 you know, we put that 
Lyle, because we just got one and half together in 84, um, as we started doing all these these backing vocals, um, we put that in the bio, same as you put anything in the bio to promote the band, you know. <laughs> Dennis Jones right. was with Iron Maiden, you know, Rocky Newton did backing vocals for Death Lemon. So you've yes. got to use any little thing you can. Right, yeah. Let me, one last question. What is the secret to recording really good backing vocals? Is it the gang? Is it one on, like, what's the recording process of well, these backing vocals? Now, now, I've got just the video, I've got now, so we can run over it, it doesn't matter. All right, so we can talk as long as you like. Okay. But there is a method which cannot be agreed. It can never be settled. Now, for instance, we used to sing in the 80s, we used to sing with around one mic, with one can off, so you could hear in the room. And we all used to sing our three parts. Steve on the low part, me on the mid, and Rocky on, on the high part. Mm -hmm. And then back it four times or six times, split. Now, we tried after that, we tried all three round one mic, all singing Steve's part in unison, then all singing my part, in unison, then all singing Rocky's part in unison. Sometimes that worked. Um, on Second Nature, me and Rocky drove to Hanover uh, in Germany to get to Steve's studio so we could do the back together rather than separately. Um, this time, we did them on our own, but I would sing my part four times, have a break, Steve was singing his part four times, have a break, and Rocky was singing his, his part four times. And it works works all different ways. It works perfectly. The only good thing about singing individually is that if there's one take, one of the four tracks, if one is just slightly not there out of the four tracks, you can find out what one it is, you go back and you redo it. Yeah. And you normally find the one the one that's not right is always the first one. Because once you've got it down once, you track with it, you track it again, you track it again, then you go back to the first one, and then you can redo that because you're in the you're in the zone and your, your head is is stuck to that note. Mm -hmm. It's just always a different way of doing all different things. We're gonna try and oh, it's frozen up. Different from with, with the reality of miracles. We we all done our vocals separately at home because we just sung the part we're going to sing and track it. And Steve put all the vocals together in Germany. But for this one, what we're going to do with this album, we're going to use the same method of me doing all my parts in unison, four tracks, each song, each chorus. Steve's going to do his four songs in four chorus. And so what we're going to do with this album, the new one, is we're going to have Lee, the lead vocalist, joining us on backing vocals, putting two tracks from Lee's voice on Steve's one, my one, and Rocky's one to give it a different bit of texture, which we've never done before. So that's what we're going to try with this, this album. Very cool. So pick the bones out of that, guys, because there's 10 different ways you can do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. That's great. Well, is there any records that you sang backing vocals on that you're not allowed to talk about? Or is there any, like, was there like a big, big number one record that you sang on? No, uh, these... Now these were all these were all bands um, uh, in the eighties that just dwindled away by the end of the eighties. Uh, they had albums out. Uh, Girl, funny yeah. enough, Phil Lewis um, went and on Phil to Collin. LA. Yeah, and Phil Collins went into yeah. joined Def Leppard. Yeah, exactly. 
And then Phil, Phil Lewis, I think, went on to LA Guns or something like that. But yeah. no, it, I'm lucky that I can I can sing a bit of lead vocal. And uh, I'm doing that on my own shows in the, in the UK. But it helps me because I do a lot of work for charity. So uh, and it's a charity that I'm patron of, PTSD for ex-servicemen. And um, the, um, the, the emergency services here in the UK. So I covered um, David Bowie's Heroes. And it was lucky that um, it raised quite a lot of money for the PTSD charity. So I'm able to do a bit of lead vocal, but as long as it's in... In your range, yeah. Yeah. A range. With, um, King, with Kingdom of the East, um, I, sing, I sing the lead vocal on a couple of the verses, uh, the first wow. line on a couple of the verses in, um, in the Kingdom of the East on the Reality of Miracles album. Oh, wow. Well, well there you yeah. go. Well, well thank um, you, Lionheart, Second Nature, remastered with bonus tracks, available January 21st. You can pre-order it now. Uh, make sure you go and pick that up. Of course, the exclusive bonus track for Japan, which uh, you're going to get on this it, new uh, new version yeah. as well, which uh, Dennis is very excited about. He loves that Beatles cover. That's right. <laughs> I love it, too. It's a great yeah. cover. Well, there Dennis, uh, let's do this again next time. And, uh, yeah, this was this was fantastic. Great to meet you. And you. Keep well. Keep safe, and I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, yes, cheers. Sir. Happy New Year. Cheers. And you, and you. An all-new episode of the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.